Genre. everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Dr. Miles Bennell and Be- Becky Driscoll from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And joining us for the discussion is producer Andrew. Welcome back, Andrew. Hello. Oh, I do enjoy our episodes where it's just me and you. It just feels like, you know, just you know, bare bones. <laughs> I mean, there's a certain a certain amount of relaxation when you remove 30% of Tech issues so, like, that can like, occur. Yeah, the technical concern <laughs> and the recording stress and all of that. Yeah. Um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is a 1956 sci-fi film written by Daniel Manwaring, directed by Don Siegel, and it starred Kevin McCarthy as Dr. Miles Bennell and da- uh, Dana Winter as Becky Driscoll. And it tells the story of people becoming concerned that their neighbors and their community have been replaced by pod people duplicates little doppelganger action oh todd mack would have loved doppelganger discussion oh in, in this episode his his favorite creepy thing yes yes <laughs> was was that was a shapeshifter on his mount rushmore of fear but it's like it's a shapeshifter so i don't know what it is <laughs> I, I i can't remember that's reaching back like six years is, to the mount yeah rushmore that is a fear. long ways back <laughs> uh I, I remember he had the uh the uh the scene in clue when yeah the, like the black glove the black glove uh turns off the phone <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like pushes down on the receiver with the lead pipe i think is what it was um oh man mount rushmore fear that is about I, I remember thinking we were gonna do lots of mount rushmore's i think that's the only was one that, we've done was that the first halloween episode it was definitely our first halloween episode and I think it was wow. our first Todd Peterson guest spot. And he's become. No, irregular. he was he was oh. there like six months earlier for the for the first special with like the the the, oh, the MCU Marvel draft. MCU You're draft. Right. You're right. He's he's been there all along. Todd Peterson's always been here. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember, Andrew, when you first became aware of Invasion of the Body Snatchers as a film? In general, as a film, it's one of those like cultural touchstones where it's like it's in there but i don't really know mm-hmm. a lot about it it's something to do with like people being different from themselves you know like and like it's a 50s horror movie like if it has staying power then it's got a lot of staying power so it's gonna make <laughs> it's gonna make an impact on on cartoons i'm like part of me is like thinking that i i got references to it in like muppet babies but i'm like probably not I, well even like the the term pod people which i remember as like a, a joke doppelganger that comes from this. And... Yeah. It's not about podcasting. It's. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that's something like, I remember just as, as a joke in, in like cartoons and stuff like the, the mm-hmm. pod people and, and like as a, as yeah, a, like, a light way to address like the horror of a doppelganger. Would, oh, okay. I'm sure. I don't know what show it would have been, but I'm sure that this is the way I would have like really been introduced to it is someone on a TV show, like a character on a TV show was obsessed with sci-fi movies or horror movies and watched this and then became suspicious of their family members. That had that, to have happened. That kind of, that that's an episode. That's a, that's a tropic episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I can't point to any, but it sure feels right when you describe that. Uh, and, and yeah, my, my sense of this film is fairly similar where it's like, uh, 
Uh, yeah, the, the title Invasion of the Body Snatchers gives you a good sense of what's going to happen. You know, it's a 1950s sci-fi thing and you kind of have a sense of pod people <laughs> being part of it. And mm-hmm. I don't remember what even when I first actually watched the entire film, um, I was the kind of uh, nerd that would like watch documentaries on the sci-fi channel about like the history of sci-fi. And mm-hmm. I'm sure this one had to have been addressed in there. So I probably like saw footage of it before I ever actually saw the movie. Yeah, and I saw it um, in college. It was it was one of my college class things where, like, this is probably a movie that I wouldn't have watched on my own, but I'm mm-hmm. really glad to have seen it in college. And it's like, maybe that's the, the function of some college courses. It's like, ah, I'm really glad that I consumed this piece of media that I would not have consumed otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's kind of like... Um you got to take your like your survey of American light like okay here's the canon and yes canon's problematic and we need to do a better job of diversifying the canon but it's also good to just get your your uh, cultural touchstones out of the way like you're now culturally literate if you've read stuff from you know the contact literature of the conquistadores up through uh your postmodernism and and you kind of understand the bobbing and weaving uh of it uh similar things need to be done i think with pop culture uh and that's the value of some of those college like film classes where it's like okay here's your early science uh, silent stuff here's your your german expressionism hey you know french new wave like all these things uh it's worth getting in there and 1950s sci-fi does have to be acknowledged right it's <laughs> it's a huge moment in in hollywood history well and so like we were talking about like this is available on uh amazon mm-hmm. and um and i think i brought up that it was available it was like oh we should do that and then we also had a like a fairly lengthy just text conversation about like oh well we could do that and then we talked about the the thing from another planet or from another world i never know the actual title of that movie but it's the one from the 50s not John Carpenter's The Thing, which right. is the one that everyone seems to talk about. But I'm like, I actually really like the one from the 50s. I'm not interested in the one from John Carpenter. I am 100% with you. I saw the, the one from the 50s in like two different film classes in college. And yeah. Uh, and it's like, that's kind of fantastic. <laughs> in yeah. like it, in its own way, it's like, this is, and I, I I bet I saw it in the same class as Invasion of the Body Snatchers, right? I, I'm sure it was like this, like back to back. It's like, well, we're going to do two from the 50s. You mean, uh, like, I think, it, or, uh, or, uh, the, no, the, invasion, the thing, right? Yeah, the thing, yeah, the thing and, and invasion, invasion of the body snatchers. Um, so I think we saw those back to back because we were doing things, I think, through decades. And so it's like, OK, these are films from the 50s. And then we did something from the 60s. And then I think like we did Star Wars in the 70s. And I think we did Jaws in the 80s mm-hmm. um, and so on. Um, and so like I always associate this with um, the thing from another planet. I think I'm trying to remember Like at some point I also watched. um Oh my gosh. What's the one with Gort? Klaatu Verata Nikto. Uh, uh, the day the Earth stood still. Yes. <laughs> Pull out Gort and Klaatu Verata <laughs> Nikto before I can find the name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like we watched, you know, some of some of these. Oh, we haven't done like, the day like the, the, We got to do a lot the, of these. The ones. classic 1950s ones. Um, and, 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 you know, into the 60s and stuff. But, um, there's such a different flavor to these 1950s sci-fi compared yeah. to even like as you get to uh, it's an uh, interesting experience in the 60s, right? You know, like you're getting into into some very different feelings and and themes that are present there. But there's something that's just it feels like you know the right thing is being produced for the budget that they were doing with 1950s sci-fi. <laughs> like they were doing the right stories mm-hmm. for the budget that was available. I, and there's something that's a little cheesy, uh, a little dated, but also creepy and uh and it's not like 
in, in some ways, like this whole thing feels a little like an expanded Twilight Zone episode, but Twilight Zone episode I, also I, feels I, very different than Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Like there's I just was gonna something say, different like, about it. Well, I, I'll tell you what I think is like the number one thing that's different because I remember thinking about it in the college class at the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He gets ahead of the threat. Mm-hmm. And like if this was a Twilight Zone, then at the end, they'd say we are already here. Like like we've taken over and like the framing device will will make that clear. But it's like if it's if it's Twilight Zone then the framing device proves that like he's already been captured. <laughs> right. No, I think, I think that's a really good point. Uh, um, and, and there's, I, again, like the 1950s, you got to be in the right headspace, I think to go watch a 1950s sci-fi film. But if mm-hmm. that's what you're looking for, there's nothing that doesn't scratch that itch except for an actual 1950s cheesy sci-fi film. <laughs> yeah. Like, like watch invasion of the body snatchers or, or the thing from another planet or thing from another world. Again, I don't know the actual title. It's too much. Or that day the uh, still, which they, I mean, I think most of these have been remade and I have no interest in the remakes. <laughs> um, and I've also got to say like this one in particular, like invasion of the body snatchers has a certain film noir mystery ness mm-hmm. to it that the others don't right those are like really straight up sci-fi and some of the like the chase scenes like the uh the shadow work as they're running through the alley uh and the way they're the like the the larger than life human shadows are being cast because of where the lighting is and there's such mm-hmm. tight contrast that's being and there's forced um, on it it really does evoke film noir yeah and there and and there's like a scene where they're trying to blend in Mm-hmm. And so you get that kind of like, okay, can I, can I get away with this? Like it gives me like vibes of, of double indemnity. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of that spy spice kind of film noir more than the private eye, you know, stuff. Yeah. But like, it's kind of fun to have some of that flavor in your sci-fi. Like I was like, Oh, you, you, you got some film noir in my sci-fi, but I kind of like it. Yeah. Uh, and, and it, it, it works. It, it all just works. Uh, I, I'm so glad that I rewatched this uh, for, for the podcast. And it's one of those things like this shouldn't be this good. Like this shouldn't work. But somehow it like and it's, it's not even that it's like high quality or good. It just it gets you mm-hmm. right. Like it, it gets you in the right spot in your mind where you're like, but this is important to have, even if it's not like the purest quality. Uh huh. And there's such a strange mix of like uh like there's moments where people are tossing around the pods and it just looks like they, someone went to a, a prop designer. So like, uh, see that thing falling out of the tree. Just make that, I don't know, five times bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and, make it big. And, and, and it looks so cheesy. But then there's the scene when like the bodies are flopping out of the pods. I'm like, oh my gosh. This is really actually like legitimately creepy. Or <laughs> film, um, film work that's being done here. I mean, we're, we're jumping ahead and you, you should probably get into like the summary soon. But, or the moment with the pitchfork. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that okay. one, Let's that say that. one we'll, gets we'll, you. We'll touch on that. Okay, so first the trivia, and it's pretty light trivia that I have for this one. 98% positive on Rotten Tomatoes, which is an amazingly high score for... That's, that's extremely high. <laughs> a 1950 sci-fi film, and I, and I love it. I don't I don't mind it at all. Also... That, that's extremely high for anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film... Well, uh, when we do the older ones with Rotten Tomatoes, oftentimes there's only like 15 reviews. Uh, so and they're, this is they're like retrospective positive yeah, reviews. exactly. Uh, yeah, so I'm guessing that's why, the, like, if we saw the actual reviews from the time, this would not have been at 98% positive. <laughs> Absolutely not. This is one that has, like, aged well, and people appreciate it now for its place in pop culture history, uh, more than this was, like, the breakout hit of 1956. Uh, <laughs> you know, anything like that. Um, in 1994, this was added to the National Film Registry. I love that, Mark. 
<laughs> whenever whenever what we're covering is there especially when it's like uh not the films that were like going for art like schindler's list in the film registry that makes sense that's mm-hmm. it was always going to be there like the second that it was announced you're like okay well that one's going to go there this had no business when it was being conceived of <laughs> and made thinking this is going to be a national artifact <laughs> that like, is going to be preserved be, for all time will, by the u.s government important. like this was made to kind of spook people into snuggling close at the drive-in movie <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, it is uh, based on a 1955 science fiction novel by Jack Finney that was called uh, The Body Snatchers. Um, so, you know, they're just throwing invasion of. <laughs> on that. There is something about that word, like body snatchers, like the mix of the of the sounds in that word mm-hmm. just works so good. It sounds like um, you like I don't you use would... the word snatch very often. It sounds like someone made up a folklore for a rural area and they had stories about the body snatchers. That's what it sounds like. And this is, mm-hmm. that's not what we're getting. This like, this is just pure sci-fi, uh, you know, silliness. And, and it's great. Uh, like not like hard sci-fi. Like this is the fun sci-fi, <laughs> they're, they're, but, like, <laughs> but like, but like I do not use the word snatch mm-hmm. very often. And so like the fact that it's like body snatchers, like why does that work together so well? It definitely does. Like it's, uh, it's so much better than like form takers. Yeah. Um, and in that, uh, like I read just a little bit about the book, um, there are uh, duplicates like what we're going to see in the film, but the duplicates only last five years and can't reproduce. So uh, if, if uh, like there needs to be controls or Earth will die, <laughs> right? Like, like it's just going to be a dead planet. And they, they kind of <laughs> removed that element from, from this one. Uh, all right. But we'll get to that in the spoiler summary, which we'll get to in just a moment. Before we do that, though, listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $8 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we aren't covering, covering as episodes of the podcast yet. And I'm just going to give a spoiler. Uh, we're recording this in March and not planning to release this episode until October. We're actually doing a double night recording of Night of the Living Dead, which was released back months, months and months ago, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers that we're not planning to release until October for like our spooky film. So maybe at that point, we'll be giving updates on our (laughs) fantasy box office. I don't know. So listeners, if if you're hearing this in October, maybe we're doing fantasy box office updates in October. Fingers crossed for the vaccines to have reached enough of the population that there is a box office to report on. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So now onto the summary of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We open up with a psychiatrist being called to a hospital where a screaming man is being held. This man says that he is really a doctor and he tells in classic flashback what led him to being arrested and taken to the hospital to be evaluated for his mental health. So now we're into the flashback. Dr. Miles Bennell. I've yeah. got to say the, the flashback texture, like that's one of the things that makes it seem like Twilight Zone, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're giving you a thing like this guy, like they think he's crazy. I'm going to tell you why he's not crazy. Yeah. And this framing device works really well. I, I am not always a fan of this kind of framing device. Uh, like I, I remember seeing uh, kind of a meme going around again at the time of this recording. So months and months ago when you're actually listening to this of uh, can we outlaw like uh, TV shows like showing our protagonist in peril and then saying 36 hours earlier. Oh, man, I hate the 36 <laughs> hours earlier, <laughs> which uh, I was thinking about like that's the Iron Man plot. That's <laughs> you know, that, that's the opening of Iron Man. Sam. They do. Yeah, they yeah, do have a 36 hours earlier. Now, that that one's kind of interesting because like he gets back to that point 
in the first act. So Mm -hmm. it only does it for the first act. And that's maybe like the redeeming quality of it. Yeah. When they do uh, it and it doesn't like get back to it until the second act, that's a problem. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, uh, sorry, flashback moment. We have Dr. Bennell. This is going to be our protagonist that we're going to follow. He is a small town doctor. He's seeing a surprising number of patients suffering from uh, Copgrass delusion, which is a psychiatric psychiatric disorder in which a person believes a close acquaintance or even their pet has been replaced with an identical imposter. I did a little dive into this. The pet one is the one that's like, how do you think your pet has been replaced with an identical imposter? Yeah. Uh, but apparently well, this is actually, a real actually, psychological yeah. phenomenon that happens. Joseph, yeah. have you ever heard of parents replacing a goldfish or a hamster or a gerbil? You're right. Okay. So now, now I see the, the root the, of that one. But as that, far as like, that the one actual... actually is pretty valid. Now, how prevalent is this that it gets a name like it's named well, after it someone first who first identified diagnosed. in the in the like the the psychiatrist who was named after I want to say was like late 1700s into the early 1800s is um here a little, little uh, deep dive. Why was it happening so much then? Recesses of my mind. Oh no, I had it wrong. Sorry, 1800 late 1800s. So he's born in 1873, uh, and it is but like cl- why was it happening? Like I don't hear about people like having this particular delusion a lot okay. now. So it, what was the deal? Well, it says it most commonly occurs in individuals diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, but it has also been seen okay. in brain injury, dementia, uh, uh, various kinds of dementia. This has been presented as so um, often in individuals with ne- neurodegenerative diseases, particularly at an older age is where you may see this happening. So that that makes more sense once you hear those uh, roots to it. Um, let's see. Uh, and I'm seeing like they, they have a couple cases on Wikipedia here uh, from 91, 2008, 2007 as some of the, the case studies. It does seem like based on that description, it does seem like this is more of a symptom than mm-hmm. an actual condition in and of itself. Yes. It's a symptom of other conditions. Yeah. And it looks like it was first uh, labeled as a disorder or identified as a disorder in 1923. Okay. Um, a, and this was the case of a French woman who was called Madame Macabre, who complained, uh, that corresponding doubles had taken the place of her husband and everyone she knew. And well, if it's the original everyone name, you know, the original name for it was the illusion of lookalikes. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, there is, uh, so, so, um, where was I? Dr. Dr. Bennell has been seeing a lot of people with this delusion. Right. Okay. Uh, and as he's like struggling with this, he runs into a former girlfriend, Becky Driscoll, who is recently divorced. Hmm. I wonder. <laughs> he goes to consult with a psychiatrist, Dr. Kaufman, who says that this is all just a case of mass hysteria. Uh, that night, Dr. Bennell's friend finds a body that looks almost human, but its features aren't fully developed it doesn't even have fingerprints that night another body is found in the cellar when dr bennell calls dr kaufman to see these the bodies have disappeared and kaufman warns bennell that he is falling for the same hysteria the next night dr bennell becky and friends find duplicates of their own bodies spilling out of pods when they try to call for help they are told the phone lines are down um and this is where like some of the best special effects works in this which it's so weird because it's 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 like it's just bubble bath. It looks like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, 
it's and, just and some slurry lying prone with like bubbles like popping like huge amounts of bubbles on them that are popping to reveal like themselves and then you cut to like the actors looking down at their own bodies and and uh it, it's really effective but it's also like you know exactly what's going on and how this is being staged but it works so well uh and this is the it, it's in you know as they're seeing their own bodies this is the pitchfork scene you were referencing earlier where Bendel's gonna stab his duplicate body with a pitchfork which like that image is like, man, that's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Stabbing uh, your own body with a pitchfork is creepy. So Benel's friends uh, are going to go drive to the next town for help because they can't call for help. Benel and Becky fear everyone has been replaced with identical pod versions of themselves. Benel and Becky uh, get to an isolated place and watch from the window the next day as the chief of police directs a truckload of pods to be taken to the neighboring towns. Then they are discovered by Dr. Kaufman and uh, his friend Jack, who reveal that they are now pod people. An alien life form crash landed in a field and its pods replicate life forms and then replace them. Soon the pods will take over everyone and humanity will lose all emotion and individuality like they have this <laughs> discussion about like what it's like to be a pod person and they're like it's great no worries no emotion we're just gonna go through with our lives and uh you know of course uh you know uh, miles bennell is like you, you, you're taking everything um you know that 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 matters if you can't feel anymore uh so bennell and becky escape now real quick i have gotta say like there is a weird thing going on with it where like the pod body develops Mm -hmm. but there's not two bodies after the pod person takes over right and it seems like you go to sleep and when you go to sleep your body disappears and the pod takes your place and the logistics of physically physically takes your place yes but like a body disappears somehow Mm -hmm. the logistics of it are hand waved away or not even hand waved away just not addressed it just is Mm -hmm. if there is a pod duplicate of you ready to go and you fall asleep, you have been replaced. <laughs> that, that, that's yeah, a, like, it, it doesn't make any sense because the like, there's two bodies. Like, we know there's two bodies because he stabbed we see, his own. We see two bodies in the same shot a few times. Yeah, and it's like, but then conversion takes place, and and it's done. <laughs> yes, uh, and it, it definitely don't stop and think about that too much. Or, uh, or you. But I be, feel like it's worth clearing up. Yeah, well, not clearing up, but just acknowledging that there's this weird aspect of it. So Benel and Becky escape, and uh, they get out to the crowd, and they try to pretend to be emotionless pod people. And so that basically means, uh, you know, we'd say they kind of wander around like lumbering zombies. <laughs> it's a lot of uh, what they're going to try and do here. I mean, not fully. Like, these, the pod people aren't zombies, but they they do uh, have much less emotion uh, and less, mm-hmm. much less reaction to, to the world around them. Uh, Becky screams when she sees a dog that's almost hit by a car. And that means alerts the pod people that she's not a pod person because she cared about that dog. Uh, so now they've got to run away again and they escape to a mine outside of town and they hide there. Benel uh, eventually leaves to go investigate what's going on out there. But when he returns, he realizes she fell asleep and she's been replaced by a pod person. So he runs mm-hmm. to the free- freeway where he starts uh, like he's running in between cars that are driving and like banging on windows and he's screaming at them. Uh, he's screaming, they're already here. You're next. You're next. He climbs up onto a truck to try and get the driver's attention. And then he looks in the back of the truck and sees that it's full of the seed pods that he has seen. And this is like the, the comically large pods. <laughs> that... Yeah, they're, they're like 
torso and head size, like yeah. like as big as a person's torso, but light enough that they're like tossing them around. Yeah, they're just handing these around to everyone. Uh, and now we come back to the opening scene of the doctors at the hospital with Benel, and the doctors go and discuss Benel's condition, and they conclude that this man is insane. Uh, the strong diagnosis of the era. Then a truck driver is brought into the hospital, and an orderly says that this man had to be dug out from under a load of gigantic sea pods, and immediately the doctors say oh never mind we believe his story we're gonna call the fbi to shut down the roads out of santa mira that's the city that he was from the end so they've gotten a little move on this however there's the fact (laughs) that you can't tell the pod people apart (laughs) from (laughs) from the regular people so how the the tone of it is that okay it's gonna be all right the fbi is on the case classic 1950s like resolution we've got the fbi on it yeah oh everyone can sleep easy now and 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 that's where I feel like if it was Twilight Zone, like the doctor would reveal himself to to be a pod person. It's like, yep, this guy, this guy's crazy. But let's get let's make sure we get the pods out. <laughs> or or even just uh, he is like put into a straitjacket and left in an insane asylum. And, and you like you do a slow like pull out and you see like pods being delivered around the hospital. You know, yeah, that, something that like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, so there's. Famously, this film has been recognized or argued that it contains some very 1950s rooted themes. It's worth acknowledging before we dig into those that everyone who worked on the film says, no, (laughs) we were not (laughs) trying to make any commentary about McCarthyism, about communism, about the Cold War, uh, any of these things. Uh, And uh, some of the quotes, like this is just from Wikipedia. So uh, Don Siegel, who was the the director, uh, yes, the director of the film, uh, he spoke um, openly that there was allegorical subtext that people can find, but he denied that there was any deliberate politics put into it. So he's like, I felt this was a very important story. I think the world is populated uh, by pods and I wanted to show them. I think so many people have no feeling about cultural things, no feeling of pain and sorrow. So basically saying like, there's not enough empathy uh, in the world, Uh, but I was not trying to, to represent a certain political viewpoint or, or criticize anybody in, in that context, just like a broad, you should be feeling things. Yeah. And uh, so like another quote from Walter Mirisch, uh, who I believe is just a commentator, but he wasn't involved in the film. But he says, people began to read meanings in pictures that were never intended. The evasion of the body snatchers is an example of that. I remember reading a magazine article arguing that the picture was intended as an allegory about the communist infiltration of America. From personal knowledge, neither Walter Wenger nor Don Single, who directed it, nor Dan w- uh, w- Manwaring, who wrote the script, nor the original author, Jack Finney, nor myself saw it as anything other than a thriller, pure and simple. Um, so, uh, and there's other quotes. Uh, if you, if you go look at Wikipedia, like there's a whole section of quotes of people saying that worked on it saying, eh, we didn't really mean anything, but it is so pervasive that even before I saw the film, I remember hearing, oh, this one is, uh, you know, about, uh, and, and this is the irony, uh, the, the communist Either. threat or McCarthyism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, because like, obviously like the, like the big theme is like the dangers of hyperconformity, right? And the pressure to to conform and not accept or tolerate any external influence or or um or exploration or any anything like that, right? And it's like, well, that is a criticism of both 
stances, <laughs> right? Like that's the like the concern of McCarthyism is like you have to conform with like this picture perfect idealistic 1950s American. There, there's one thing that it means to be American, and we're all going to be that. <laughs> yes, and then and then you have like the fear of the communist infiltration, which is that everything's going to become homogenous, and you all have to be. <laughs> that there's no more glorious individuality and and you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you know you're all the same uh yeah and and so it's like well it works as a criticism for both because both taken to the extreme kind of results in this homogenous single unit Mm -hmm. and i think also um you know one thing that definitely plays into it is uh with some of the other concerns that you see particularly playing out in the 1960s where we're ta- dealing with issues of race or the feminist movement or some of these um, like y- you uh, like, like there's, there's clear identity that's at play there. But when it comes to something that's ideological. So like, if you're saying this is a, a you know, about the threat of communism, that's, you know, what something, be- what someone believes. And the threat is that your neighbor is thinking differently, you know, in, in this way that's mm-hmm. un-American and, 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 and problematic, but you wouldn't know it, uh, that they could be attending secret because they, communist, they, they look, they the look just like you, right. But yeah. they'd be attending secret communist meetings. Uh, and so you've got to like keep an eye on them, uh, to, to make sure um, well, and, that, that they're not. And I get like, there's the, the pressure of that like concept for communism. And then there's the same kind of pressure in McCarthyism where people are getting blacklisted, right? People are losing jobs because they're being accused of being associated with communists, not being communists, but being associated with communists. Right. And, or, so, uh, and so you have that pressure to conform there, yeah. like where it's like, I like, I have to be staunchly American enough, even it like, but I'm not like, I'm not this cookie cutter American quite that, <laughs> that extreme, but mm-hmm. I have to comply or else I'm in danger. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think there's a lot of that allegory there, but I think it's also like an interesting example where um, there's, there's in pop culture studies, sometimes you come across the term of the magic mirror effect that, mm, yeah. uh, you know, what is being made reflects the fears, hopes, and concerns of the era, but then also what is consumed by the audience is going to influence their fears, hopes, and concerns, right? So is is the film that's being made reflective of the concerns or do the concerns come about because everyone sees this film? And the answer is yes. Like both both things are happening. That's why it's called yeah, the magic they, mirror effect. They reflect in and they reflect out. So if, if the creators of this film are saying well, we didn't think we were making that story, but everyone just kind of looks at it and says, well, this theme is kind of there. Uh, it, it's possible like they were attracted to tell this kind of story because of the fears and concerns that were permeating the culture around them. Uh, or uh, the way the story was received uh, was because of the fears and the, uh, you know, the, the culture that was permeating all around them. And both both could be true. Yeah, you, you can definitely get to a point where it's like, well, we were trying to make this thing. And, and like what inspires them to make the thing? And then people consuming it is like, wow, this really conveys this thing. Mm-hmm. To to me, you know, and like, so it can be influencing and then that media is influencing how other people see their world. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I, I think it's it's worth just acknowledging all that, like the thematic subtext of this of this film has almost become like as famous as the film itself. And the idea of like the pod people and the doppelgangers like the, that, that subtext is definitely uh taking a life of its own to, to the point that I, I'm guessing some of our listeners probably know of that allegory of that interpretation even if they've never seen the film <laughs> um, of it so we wanted to at least acknowledge that before we start digging into some of these characters now our two main characters that we're going to follow are uh dr miles bennell and uh becky driscoll andrew do you have 
any take on Miles Bennell as the protagonist of this film? Like what, what stands out about this, this particular character? Um, so like we track with him across like three ish days, right. As his paranoia, paranoia is setting in. And as he is like starting to adopt the, the attitude that he's been treating in his patients, right. Mm -hmm. And, and dismissing in his patients, um, essentially. And towards the end of the film, as he's getting more and more manic, right. He's, he's not sleeping because if he sleeps, he'll turn into a pod person. Right. And he's getting, um, you know, really on edge. Um, I think that's actually really compelling, right? To see him start going like he he is not a Superman, right? This is an extremely average everyman kind of character. Like he's a doctor, but he seems like he's a small town doctor. He's not a super doctor, right? He lives a pretty average life. I think he's recently divorced. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is not, you know, a, a master of romance or anything, but it's just like he keeps getting pushed just a little bit to the edge and a little bit to the edge and and like his edge keeps shifting. Mm-hmm. And you see him to go to like some pretty extreme lengths where he's like banging on the windows on the cars on the, on the freeway, or um, he like grabs some syringes and he injects sedative um, into his friends' bodies to escape yeah. right? the, the pod people. But it's like, Oh, this guy's getting pushed to the edge. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't think they ever cross to a point where it's like, he's done something so crazy that I can't imagine a person doing it. They keep him very, very human throughout the whole thing, which I think is really impressive. Yeah, as they're pushing this sci-fi story, he doesn't get into into superhuman territory. He like he's he doesn't get into a fight. Like the most extreme physical action is when he stabs them with the syringes, and he stabs a, a body that's lying on the floor with a pitchfork. But he's just lying there. Yeah. He's not like fighting the pod people ever. He yeah. he yeah, he's not an action hero protagonist of a sci-fi alien invasion movie, which is what we definitely expect of alien invasion movies, which this is. Um, it's, and it's, so it's like like he's one of the most average heroes. I can remember ever seeing. Yes. Um, something about that description. It made me remember and just bear with me for a moment. I was teaching a class using Frankenstein, the novel one time. And I had a student say they'd never read the novel. They'd never even seen a Frankenstein film. You know, you know the idea of Frankenstein. Uh, mm-hmm. And as they're reading the novel, they thought that the reveal was going to be that Victor Frankenstein had not actually created a monster, but that he was committing all the murders. The monster did <laughs> that. Yeah, and he right. had created this, uh, this explanation uh, in his mind for what was happening he, with the murders. But really he, he, he had kind he, of like psychologically manifested an explanation that was that there's this monster like, right. But, all, but like most, it's, it's most metaphorical murders are in the book are Frankenstein's family, uh, you know, like close connections to Victor mm-hmm. are, are who's and, getting killed. But it's like a metaphorical thing. It's like, no, this monster did it. But really, he's yeah, he's, I, he's, he's having a psychotic break. And I said to the student, like, I love that. That is not the story we're discussing in class today. <laughs> like an adaptation <laughs> of that story, I think, could actually be pretty compelling and a fun s- spin on the Frankenstein uh, story uh, with this uh, Dr. Uh, Bennell. Dr. Bennell in in the pods uh, invasion of the body snatchers. I think you'd have a similar thing where like a fun version of the story is. No, he's actually just losing it. Like he is falling prey to mm-hmm. that that syndrome, and no one is actually being replaced. And uh, and he's really just a- attacking his friends, and they're just yeah. trying to help him chill out yeah. and sleep. And that that would be another Twilight Zone ending that we don't have. Uh, <laughs> so, so once again, that's not the version of the story we're talking about. It just came to mind while you were describing him, mm-hmm. and I because I, uh, I think the actor and I want to give him credit, Kevin McCarthy, who plays uh, Miles Bennell, he does do a good job of playing like that simmering paranoia. Uh, and I don't think the film itself really focuses so much on the paranoia because we're told we're, we are given 
clear evidence fairly early on uh, that there are pod people, right? Yeah. Uh, if, if it was like still left just vague enough that we as an audience don't have confirmation, uh, like the paranoia will become a central uh, theme of this. And even though it's not, I do want to give credit to Kevin McCarthy for playing that paranoia, as you said, like in this on, on this level where it is an average person in a uh, an extraordinary circumstance, right? You know, an unbelievable mm-hmm. circumstance. Uh, and how how do you choose as an actor to like react in this? And uh, in alien like invasion films, you have like the stoic leads. You've got like uh, the people who like turn to science to try and understand it. You got people who this is just an average guy that's just kind of trying to get through the next day and warn people that there may be pod people out there. Yeah, like he is not he's not passionate <laughs> about mm-hmm. this. He's just kind of like this is pretty weird, guys. Like we should be checking into this and like we should try to call the fbi oh the phones are down well i'm not gonna leave town to go <laughs> yes. try and find a phone <laughs> like like he he stays in town like after finding his own duplicate and that um, scene at the end when he's uh like b- before the coda of the, the the frame story like when he's on the street screaming there are they're here already you're next you're next um and you know this is the uh he's reached his breaking point essentially Mm-hmm. to the point where he's going to be taken to uh you know to be psychologically evaluated um the performance there is actually like really good like it there's part of it that's a little cheesy but at the same time it's like he's committed and it's compelling to watch uh and uh as he's like battering on these windows of cars driving by and screaming that over and over and that, you know it's it's a really compelling performance from him and so i i just want to shout that out <laughs> and i think i think one of the things like the the mundanity of his life is one of the things that makes you kind of root for him and like kind of appreciate him as that that everyman hero as he's like getting closer to the edge and everything and it's like okay he just found like he found these duplicates and you see like little hints of of the paranoia getting to him like i think the pitchfork moment is like okay he's like that's that's an edge for him Mm -hmm. it was like i'm very disgusted by this duplicate body yeah. Right. And he has kind of a, a visceral reaction to that. But then you get the sense is like, but he's trying to keep it normal. Right. He's trying to keep it cool. He's trying to not freak out about all of this. Mm-hmm. And he's doing like a really good job most of the time. And then by the end, like this is someone who has slowly gotten over the edge, not someone who had a massive like sudden break. Right. right? It wasn't suddenly he saw his own duplicate and he's like, OK, well, now I'm dealing with this. Like he <laughs> yeah. kind of maintained the same level for a long time Mm -hmm. until it kind of overwhelmed him. Like it slowly overwhelmed him instead of suddenly overwhelmed him. And I think it really is interesting. uh, Like the, the resolution of the film and like the, the everything's going to be okay. It really, like we said, it is just like, okay, he got to the FBI. Oh, (laughs) like it's just sharing information with the government is how to fix this this problem that you know is is bigger than one man can solve uh and it's definitely not like the the hero figure that is going to like burn all the pods or anything like that uh, yeah like he like he doesn't deal any kind of blow to the pod objective <laughs> no like like wait, and he sees like the pickup trucks and semi trucks just loaded with pods no fire like being they're going like there. All he does the... burn two pods at one point, uh, yeah. but 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 not the the massive supply of pods that he's seeing being, uh, you know, the infrastructure of these pod like, people is impressive. These pods they, they are just a, going out. Yeah, so they they have a system in place, uh, and, and they're they're uh, they're on top of it, and and they've got. 
I would love to see like the uh, the mid level management of these pod people. Uh, you know, the ones who are just trying to get the shipment out on time. Can you please work with me, people? <laughs> get and the pods I, on the truck. <laughs> I've got to say, like, I think it's like an interesting filming thing. The way they convey that is like through orderliness, right? Mm-hmm. It's through people just like driving through, picking up pods, and it's like, yeah, like pods are around. We're putting pods in the backs of cars. Like, I think at some point he he like sees them shove some pods in the back of his car. Like he's not watching. Yeah. And it's like, if I'm not paying attention, like they're just going to get me. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, like we're just doing this. And they're like, they're so unconcerned. And I think the lack of emotion is, is doing that where it's like, yeah, we're unconcerned about this. Like, it's going to be fine. We'll get you. <laughs> like, like they don't feel threatened. And that's a very interesting thing, right? They don't feel any sense of threat. Like they are not trying that hard. Even when there's a mob following him, mm-hmm. it's like, we just want to keep track of you until like you get, you get potted. Yes. And even when uh, like his his uh, the people who had been his friends and, and acquaintances are like reveal, oh, we're pod people now uh, like th- It's not like a threatening. <laughs> it's like, yeah. this is gonna be fine. You're not gonna be so emotional. <laughs> You're a pod person. Yeah, it's like they're not even trying to convince him. They're just like, we can just wait it out. Like, mm-hmm. like they're super chill. Yeah. Uh, what about Becky Driscoll? <sighs> she I mean, like, I feel like. Miles carries most of it, right? Mm-hmm. She is kind of following his pace of like getting agitated and paranoid, but she doesn't like push him at all, you know, into it. She's not trying to convince him or anything. Yeah. Um, I think she, and, I mean, the actress is a good performance, but she's not given as much to do as uh, Miles yeah. Uh, is given. Yeah. The focus really is on, on him overall. Um, and, but it is, um, it's striking at the end when she turns into a pod person, right? She's, you know, the last one mm-hmm. and he loses his, his like, he doesn't know if anybody he he's ever known now is right. ever going to be who he knew. Um, And that's, I mean, and it's not like that's a huge performance for her, right? She has to be emotionless while they, while they kiss. <laughs> like that's not a huge and that's the, performance that's the challenge is like, Oh, you're not feeling the emotion of my, 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 my passionate, passionate kiss. kiss. So therefore, you are now my, a pod person. <laughs> in my exhausted and amphetamine-driven state. As we've just avoided, uh, you know, what we we perceive to possibly be the, you know, the apocalypse of humanity. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and But now we have a moment alone. I'm going to kiss you. Mm, not reacting like I wanted. Pod person. <laughs> um, and, but like, it, it tracks that she is going through all of this with him right like mm-hmm. uh, like their connection does does yeah, ring true and she doesn't uh which which definitely you can see this in some films from the era like but, but she does not feel like she's being dragged along like she is there mm-hmm. running with him and when they're on the run together uh th- that's some of the as we said like the most film noir sequences uh as they're like running through the the alleyways or when they're in the mine together um and you know she is a, a co-participant she's not just being pulled along she's just again, again like the, this is more Mo- dr miles Bennell's story than it is becky Driscoll's and, story and i think it would be very easy and i think I've, I've definitely seen movies where this was the case that he's really dragging her along in that he's the one who believes this and she's not on board mm-hmm. right she's like denying it or something like that and she's not denying it like she is convinced of all of this she's seen all the pods she is I, I think she maybe even saw more pods than he did um, <laughs> overall. And and so she is on board. She's just not as like intentional in her yeah. actions. She's not asserting um, like what the plan is. He's like he's dragging her along in that he's got a plan and she's coming with him. Mm-hmm. Not that she doesn't believe him or anything like that. And I think there's a lot of movies that would have 
um, a character like constantly casting doubt on him. And they don't do that in this movie. Like, yeah, like we're like straight up like, no, nobody's doubting him. Yeah, everyone's pretty on board. Uh, like as the paranoia starts to like creep up, it's creeping up for everyone. All right, mm-hmm. and like even the friends, uh, like the one who finds the body, like there's this sense all across, like this is really weird, and we don't have good explanations. It's not like everyone's saying, "No, there's a logical explanation." Stop, stop panicking. It's like, mm, we yeah, need to start heading down the panic road. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it's a small group saying, "Like, hey, this is pretty weird." Like, but then it's also kind of odd because like. Then they have a barbecue. <laughs> yeah. They're and the, like, they're like, this is weird stuff. Like we're going to, we're going to look into this and there's a backyard barbecue and someone finds like four of the pods. It's like it's, there's a lot of happenstance where it's like, why, why aren't the pod people more careful about where they're putting? Like, like they don't need to put these. So like, obviously mm-hmm. right where people are going to find them. And it's like these same four people keep finding pods. Yes. I, I mean, by the end, they just literally don't care. It is like out in the open bed of trucks. <laughs> <laughs> but that's once they they're they've got you know ninety nine percent of the town is yeah. is now pod people. But but you have a threshold where where it's like yeah how come like these same people keep finding pods, but nobody else ever found any pods. But I mean at the beginning you do have like the the people who are concerned right like the little boy who thinks his mommy isn't his mommy anymore. Yeah, uh, but that's but like they don't have any of the like the pod person right. paranoia element of it they're just like Be- becky, my person like my, she my, like my people her, seem her off. dad yeah uh, becky suspected her dad right am i remembering mm-hmm. that right uh, I, I think so sure. or yeah. uncle yeah it, it was a relationship but she is one of the like before uh the doctor is onto it she's saying no there, there's definitely something wrong um so there's that for, uh, for her character um i do think one thing that makes this film so iconic and successful is definitely like the uh the directing and the cinematography like it does mm-hmm. give you some of that that creepy f- feel that just uh makes like elevates it like on the on the one hand this is b movie material <laughs> that we're dealing with like alien mm-hmm. pods that take the place of people like that is classic the um, low budget stuff uh but the there's work that's done to make you feel uh you know all of the you know all the emotions that we've been describing for these characters yeah like the um the overwhelm when like the pods are just getting shipped out mm-hmm. like that is a wide shot of like the town square right you see a lot of space and being there's consumed lots by of this enterprise huge huge cast involved of extras um, yeah and so it's like that cin- cinema cin- cinematographically <laughs> there's a lot of syllables in that word um but that that conveys that sense of like I can't do anything to the entire town square, right? Like maybe I can do something to a back alley or Mm -hmm. a shop, but the entire town square is so big. Um, Yeah, it's, I mean, I I think it's worth, I already acknowledged, like we're recording these as double features uh, with uh, Invasion uh, or Night of the Living Dead, uh, even though these are dropping months apart. But in that one, it is, an overwhelming threat that's coming inward and like getting closer and closer. And And this one is a threat that's expanding outward uh, and, and, you know, spreading farther and farther. And that's the danger. And that's the, uh, the terror that's coming from. So it's, it's interesting to just see that inverse of films that, I mean, they're not, they're what, like 15 years apart. So they're not like from the exact same decade even or anything like that, but it's interesting to see the, the way terror and horror is being used in those. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's like some, I mean, some of the creepiness, like the pods do become creepy mm-hmm. because you know what they represent. And so there's like a moment where and like the cinematography is not especially interesting or or compelling. And and maybe like the simplicity of it is what's creepy about this. But there's like a mom who puts a pod down in her baby's crib. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's kind of a straightforward shot. And you're like, oh, 
ah weird Ooh. no like not cribs <laughs> don't like that one uh yeah and the scene like i i remember being struck by the framing and like the mise-en-scene of the scene when they're uh, examining the body that's not quite human enough mm-hmm. you know that's still being formed and that, that's like laid out on a table yeah it's laid out on a table and there's like four different layers of where the actors are so like you've got the front layer of the body that's like right at the the the, the lower portion of the screen and you've got mm-hmm. uh uh the doctor like leaning over it and there's uh, a lamp that's very prominent on that same plane of layers and then there's two people standing just a little bit farther behind uh and they're they're on the left side and then there's like a bar like the, yeah uh, and then behind the bar there's another person that's just framed and, and like the framing of it all is done so carefully and so well that you know like time was taken to get everyone to their mark uh exactly as as you want it and just stop and take in the scene and think about the way they were creating like these different planes of layering that that are 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 cascading backwards uh and i was impressed with it all i think i think layering i mean that's probably one of the the like film image structuring techniques that we don't talk about a ton is like Mm -hmm. putting people in the right layers because i like you mentioning it, I'm like, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? In that scene where it's like, yeah, like there's this bit in, in the front and it's kind of taking up a certain part of the screen and, and all of that. And, and um, then also having the objects helping to visually like cue you in where this layer is, right? Like you get yeah. that lamp that's up in the in the um, top right there. And I, I don't think I imagine seeing that a ton in movies in general, right? They kind of focus on one layer mm-hmm. and they don't let the other layers do a job in a yeah. lot of scenes. Um and so you describing that was like, oh, yeah, that is, you know, an interesting feature of I think I think of this movie, right? They they do things with that, like when they're running away from the town, right? There's a layer of space in front of um, of Benel and Driscoll, and then there's a layer of space behind them. And then there's the layer of the mob, mm-hmm. right? And so you kind of stack those layers. Yeah. Um, and there's some cool angles and camera work that's done when they're hiding in the mine, too, uh, when mm-hmm. they're like laying under some floorboards and stuff like that um that that just it gives again like just elevates all all of this material to 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 be you know one of the reasons that of all the 1950s sci-fi films this is the one that has stood the test of time and is still talked about yeah so you know having a a couple of like extra good elements to it makes a big difference mm-hmm. and then there's like the uh where there you know what we said about the themes like there's there's something there but it's not driven home or or made such a clear statement that you know exactly what it is so there's like some flexibility some thematic flexibility (laughs) yeah but i but i do think like i mean anyone who has dealt with people like people change in your Mm -hmm. life and sometimes that starts to feel threatening or or intimidating and that can be a universal feeling no matter what your political background is right like if you have people you know or family members whose political ideology changes well, no and, matter I mean, what direction it changes, right? You suddenly feel like people are changing and like this person's not who I knew. This is very different. This is mm-hmm. very stressful. This is very intimidating. I feel I feel threatened by it. Am I going to change? Am I going to assimilate? Yeah. And then uh, even like we, we, we touched briefly on some of the like the mental health parts of this uh, where there's the, like a real syndrome that was being used. Uh, but as like neurodegeneration happens and 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 people you knew like cease to be who you knew like there there's definitely a um a melancholy and a terror that you know that that is simultaneous uh with that and um and i i think uh you know this film is tapping into some of those feelings with this broad sci-fi premise that like as far as alien invasions go this is <laughs> like when you what you hear like no it, it's pods that literally grow you a new body and replace mm-hmm. you how uh 
they do. Um, <laughs> they just replace like there's there's a silliness there to that. But I think it's tapping into some of those ideas and those emotions uh, that feel very 1950s, like the idea of the paranoia and the Red Scare and McCarthyism that we've talked talked about. But also you can still still carry on, like like you're saying, like that uh, the, the someone you know changing, whether it's uh, you know falling into conspiracy theories or or uh, changing the political beliefs or changing religions or or again like just with aging becoming different uh, in in what you know, from, from the person you knew, I think, I think that still resonates. Yeah. And I, I think, um, the other big thing is because it, the entire town around, um, Dr. Bennell changes fairly rapidly, right? He has that weird existential feeling of like, wait, I'm the outsider. Like, like that realization mm-hmm. of like, suddenly I'm the nonconformist, right? right? I felt like this was an infiltration, but now I'm the outlier. Um, and that's definitely a, a a weird feeling that people have felt, right? That's a tension that people have experienced where it's like, wait, I thought I was like everyone else. And now I'm realizing I'm not like everyone else. Yeah, like a, a strange version of imposter syndrome, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like somehow I became the imposter. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I think that covers most of the material I wanted to touch on for Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Is there anything you want to say to wrap up? Um, This one the first time you watch it i remember like this was one of my tensest like gripping my table kind of watches um mm-hmm. in my college class where it's like oh man what's going to happen like 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 everything's happening like they're all gone <laughs> and just like i was just like but like what's he going to do next like how is this going to like and i don't even know what i wanted to happen like i don't think i wanted the action hero kind of moment mm-hmm. i was just like feeling his world collapsing right feeling yeah. his paranoia escalating and it was escalating my paranoia it did it did what it was supposed to do very effectively right it got me to feel emotions and well and i think part of it is that scale of the threat in this one isn't is he going to survive the night it's like is humanity done <laughs> like like in the in this mm-hmm. world that they're building uh the threat isn't uh, it, are our main two characters going to die? It is, are these aliens going to replace all of humanity? Yeah. Uh, and you don't see an out for that. For, is this character going to survive the night? You can find outs for so many kinds of threats. Uh, and, and like that scale of danger seems surmountable. Uh, you know, the, the, they can survive the night and and find a place of safety. But when it's become, you know, makes that shift of, uh, are these pods going to replace everyone? Uh, not just are these pods going to replace our protagonists. I, I think that's one place where the dread starts to come in. Is like, how actually are they going to overcome this this danger? Yeah, and and because that is like so much. So it's weird because it it's a kind of movie where the protagonist's objective is not really the movie's objective, right? This movie is about him surviving and like getting a message out, but his objective is about stopping the pod people. And that's not the end of the movie that we see. Yeah. Right? No, he it, passes it, the message along to like one person. Mm-hmm. And we trust and, that that person is going to get to the FBI. But we go. <laughs> but like the whole time we've kind of been wanting to see how do they stop this? And it's like, we don't actually see how they stop this. We see how they communicate it to like one slightly more important person. Yeah. Cause we never see, I think, I think another sense of the dread is like, we see how you stop a pod, right? You can burn the pod and you can stop, stab the body before it, it replaces the person. So we see like them taking out pods. But once the people have been taken, we're there's no there's cure. no there's no going back. 
yeah, we're, we're never, we're, there's never even a hint of, of a cure in this. So even if, say, they're able to find all the pods and destroy those pods, you still have, at this point, thousands of, yeah. of, of people who are gone, uh, but have been replaced by doppelgangers of themselves, which is its own, you know, different kind of terror of, of well, what now uh, for for this population? Yeah. Which is, I, I mean, that idea of like the doppelganger terror, that's something that you see in Twilight Zone. I know that uh, the, um, oh, the the next film that Jordan Peele did after Get Out was was Us, which was like playing into a very similar like doppelganger fear mm-hmm. um, of, uh, you know, I, I think there's something uh, palpable and intrinsic to, to the sense of, you know, someone you know, but not, uh, you know, that, that makes it uh, something that horror continually draws on. Yes. All right. I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can email, uh, reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at DizMinute. And our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash Protagonist. And Dueling Genre hosts a Discord channel where you can see us and the other Dueling Genre podcast hosts. Uh, and talk about uh, the episodes that we're dropping there. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. He is a doctor and he tells in classic flashback, uh, flashback. Sorry, let me give you a fresh read there.